Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group, the action group for slackers. In the last show, we were encouraging people to back the BBC campaign, love it or lose it, because it was coming under attack from the government, and in particular from the Culture Secretary, John Whittingdale, a man who has found himself under attack <laughs> in the last few weeks for having a romp with a porn actress, the daughter of a Soviet military officer, and a dominatrix prostitute. <laughs> now, when it came to the dominatrix prostitute, he said he had no indication of what she did for a living. <laughs> now, if you're in a sexual relationship with somebody, and when you go into the bedroom, they go into the drawer for a whip, handcuff you to the bed, and then stiletto you to the mattress, surely you may have some indication that they may not be an amateur. <laughs> Four newspapers had the story on John Whittingdale, but none of them published it because they said it wasn't in the public interest. This at the same time when all the newspapers seemed desperate to publish the name of the celebrity couple who have been involved in a threesome. So you're thinking if the celebrity couple really wanted to maintain their anonymity, they should have had the threesome with John Whittingdale. <laughs> And none of the papers were giving a shit, would they? Of course, if you want to find out the name of the celebrity couple, it's all over the internet, isn't it? But the reason the celebrity couple, they said they wanted the injunction, didn't they? Because they were worried that the children might find out. And you're thinking, well, you know, given the amount of time that kids spend on the internet these days, you're quite surprised that the kids weren't the first ones to find out. Oh, Dad, have you seen what Dad's been up to? And when it comes, when it comes to whether this is in the public interest or not, when it comes to the John Whittingdale story, who was it who actually told John Whittingdale that it was a dominatrix prostitute that he was having a relationship? It was the newspapers. And still the newspapers didn't want to print it, right? Surely that story in itself is in the public interest. If he's having sex and a relationship with a woman who's the daughter of a Soviet military officer... Surely that might be in the public interest. It sounds like the sequel to the film Scandal, as far as I'm concerned. But also, for one of these women, he posed as an arms dealer to try and get off with her. Now, if a cabinet minister is posing as an arms dealer to get sex, surely that story in itself 
is in the public interest. He'd obviously seen Hugh Laurie in The Night Manager and thought, well, I'll have a crack at this. But it's no wonder, is it, that he didn't actually want to pretend he was a politician. Because politicians, they are the least trusted and least respected of all professions, including estate agents. <laughs> it has come to a sorry pass when even estate agents are looking at politicians and going, nah, I couldn't take the lies and the bullshit. <laughs> The Murdoch newspapers, they had the story at the same time when John Whittingdale says he's unlikely to implement the Leveson inquiry into the phone hacking of the Murdoch newspapers. So you're thinking, surely that story in itself is in the public interest. We should remember, of course, that Rebecca Brooks is now CEO back at News UK, isn't it? Whereas her lover, Andy Coulson, he was found guilty of the phone hacking and he had to spend some time in prison. But Rebecca Brooks, very tough lady, isn't she? She was once married to Ross Kemp, and when she was married to him, she beat him up. (laughs) It is a sad day, isn't it, when you've got to go round visiting gangs all over the world, because it's safer than going home. (laughs) So would you please welcome our three guests tonight. Mary Cray MP, from Amnesty, CO Director, Tim Hancock and broadcaster, stand-up, and former pole dancer, Marcus Brigstock. No problems at all. We practised beforehand. We said, we'll get this perfect. Who's going to come out first? Mary, then Tim, then Marcus. And, of course, we fucked it up. But it doesn't matter. (laughs) We weren't entirely ready. I'm sorry. So, welcome. Welcome to the Slacktivist Action Group. Just to make us feel good about ourselves, if maybe we could start off by saying one thing each that we, in an ideal world, we might be a little less slack about. Marcus, anything you'd like to offer to the group? A little bit of personal discipline with regard to my phone, which I used to do a routine about how much I hated people who had iPhones because they were all, oh, isn't it amazing you could do this, 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 and from a distance it just looked like they were wanking off a gerbil. Um, this, this, uh, this for a man who's got an Apple computer very obviously on stage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, but I then crumbled. I now, I now have an iPhone I and I, to see me. I cannot... I can't go two minutes without checking I'll be alright during this probably uh, but without checking my iPhone to see if something's happened and it's not good for me or anybody else it means I get a lot less done of everything I myself was going to offer to the group the, the idea of patience not, not necessarily the most patient of people but you do learn things over a period of time don't you? like in relationships you learn if your, your partner starts slagging off their own family not to join in <laughs> <laughs> It's tempting, though, isn't it? It's tempting. Very. Because you've been looking forward to that moment that's, for some that, time. That's a trap, that is. Yeah. That's a... <laughs> so, Tim, what about you? It's DIY. DIY is something I, I, I think about it a lot, and occasionally I get it started, but very, very rarely finish it. I'll completely deny the idea of getting anybody in to do the job. I'll always say, I'll, I'll do that. Oh, I will get around And you've to just got it. a list of jobs that basically you, you've promised from back 2007 or so. Yeah, yeah, quite a few of them are half done, though, so, you know, it's not completely <laughs> slack. I'm not sure so. I should mention this, but my, uh, let's just say uh, 
a, a friend of a friend, that's the safe way of doing it, rather than saying, <laughs> my wife's father, OK? <laughs> uh, he always, he, he sort of, he's always going to be in queue and buying stuff, but rather than working out what he's got in his garage, he basically goes and buys another one because he can't be asked to look yeah. through the garage and find the one he's already got. <laughs> I bought a more expensive drill in order to impress the builders I had in. <laughs> Not even kidding. I, I, I was like, and then you yeah, they'll, you... they'll approve of that. Yeah. <laughs> and did they or did you just drill? No, they really did. They were like, that's a nice drill. I went, yeah. And then, yeah. Then, then they saw you using it. For no. Me. He's got no, no fucking clue did what not get used. <laughs> <laughs> not those builders, but some other ones. Uh, I've got two Union Jack mugs that I was given and I went to make them tea following a conversation that I'd had outside in which nationalities had been prefixed with you as in you pole <laughs> and as soon as you get a you in front of a nationality you're in trouble you know you Spaniard he, he'll do this you pole he'll do this and I went to the cupboards and they're, they're kind of shitty mugs and then I just went no probably not that's 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 going to encourage them isn't it <laughs> Here are your mugs. Yeah. yeah. And what about you, Mary? Your MP. Um, yes. Well, um, a little bit of Twitter detox at night, a bit of social media turning off the blue screens and all of that. But now I've found that they've got a night shift thing that you can put on your on your Apple and your iPad. So now you think, oh, it's actually healthy. If I if I switch it, I've got it on night shift from sundown to sun up. So actually I can carry on looking at it till midnight. But what that destroys is all moments for reading, it's like junk food intellectual stimulus. So you have lots of little bits of things onto it. You go, oh, that's quite interesting. Oh, I'm going to click through. Ten things you should do to get more sleep. It's like, turn off your bloody iPhone. Go to bed, Ariana Huffington. I don't need you telling me how to get more sleep. Stop tempting me with your tweets and how to get more sleep. I need to go to bed and not listen to you. Well, especially as you have been a very busy woman recently. You have been chairing the Environmental uh, Audit Committee. Is that right? Well I, done, yeah. Yes, I, I thought I'd... I'd basically... You're a pro-European, Mary, and uh, the thing about the European... I thought I'd said that quite well, but the slack... That's is, a good segue. The went to about the, the, the pauses there. But the, obviously, the, at the moment, David Cameron, we've got this referendum coming up on the 23rd yeah. of June, and nobody in the, the four camps seems to be that excited by it. And you think, why did you bother to have a referendum for something you're not excited about? I didn't. About? I, I didn't. know, I know you didn't. Don't blame me. No, but I'm hoping you're going to excite us all for this. At the moment, it's like trying to get excited about lettuce, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, most people, if you ask them, probably thought overall, you're probably better off with it, but nobody's going, hey, lettuce! Well, I don't believe in lettuce. I think it's rubbish. Yeah. It takes a lot of water and it has zero nutritional value. So all you lettuce eaters out there, yeah. apart from the effects being soporific, mm. as Peter Rabbit said, it's got no value. Have we're, a tomato instead We're of learning lettuce. tonight, aren't we, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> but, but it's a vehicle for dressing. <laughs> yeah, that is, for that's the function for of fat, lettuce. For fat. Or a bit of crunch in your sandwich. But back to the EU. The problem we've got is, in the in-camp, the, the, the remain camp, you know, we don't even know what we call ourselves, is that we're dealing with, with a million varieties of outers. So you've got the guys in the green ties, grassroots out, go, handy. They've waited all of their adult life for this, Andy. That's how tragic they are. While the rest of us were getting on with clickbait on Twitter, or not doing our DIY... Or, you know, mocking our friends of a friend's father. Yes. Um, they were waiting for this moment. And so they're wired up and ready to go. But and that's the problem. David Cameron sort of had the referendum, didn't he? To heal the rift in, in, 
in the Conservative Party, but it's not healed it at it's all. Gone it's gone well, hasn't it? Yeah, Heat that healing. It's wider than ever. <laughs> so it, it's we... like basically trying to heal a riff with your partner by talking about your Divorce. ex, and then <laughs> and getting and and, and then deciding to have a list. vote as to whether they are any good or not, isn't it? <laughs> so basically, David Cameron is having this referendum. He didn't want it. The Green Tie Brigade forced him into it, which is the hard right of the Conservative Party. And what they're doing now is trying to sucker the British people. And this is where I get really annoyed because they go. Well, if we didn't have to pay into the EU, we could save the NHS. If we didn't pay into the EU, we could have great schools, we could have great hospitals, we could have um, more police on the beat. And you go, hang on a minute, you're the hard right of the Conservative Party. You take every opportunity that you can to shrink the size of the state. Pick a row with the junior doctors, why don't you? Forced academisation of all um, primary schools, all schools in the country, why don't you? So don't, get, don't think I'm that stupid. And actually it's been reassuring, because I debated with John Redwood last week in um, London Metropolitan University, and we were there. And John Redwood stood up. And he's one of the ones, although he doesn't wear the tie very sensibly, because the tie is like a badge that, you know, says, I've been waiting for this all my life and I haven't done anything else. And uh, John Redwood got up and said, we can end austerity. We can end. And I was just having a little Wikipedia look at John Redwood. I thought, it's really good to have the phone in your pocket. And uh, in it, I discovered that in 1995, when he was Secretary of State for Wales, he gave £100 million of his Welsh budget back to the Treasury, because he didn't want to spend it on schools, on hospitals, and on police in Wales. And or, I don't know if there was or a... learning the national anthem, if oh, I remember yes. right. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, that was, yeah he, was, he was famous for that as well. And there were, what was really reassuring was there were young people in the audience there, and they were laughing at him. And they put their hands up and they go, John, just saying, hashtag, you voted for the bedroom tax, hashtag, loser. You know, I mean, they didn't quite put it like that, but they were laughing at him. And I thought, actually, this is really good. And more people need to see more of John Redwood. They need to hear more of Boris Johnson saying, Obama, ah, whatevs. He's a bit Kenyan, isn't he? You know, it's like Boris Johnson, the brackets, the Tory mayor of London, who's put your fares up by over 17% closed brackets, um, vote Khan on uh, May the 5th, closed brackets again. Nicely done, nicely done. (laughs) See how I did that? (laughs) Sorry, Sadiq, I'm not at your phone bank tonight. Um, if, any, if someone could tweet that at Sadiq Khan, that'd be really helpful. Um, and um, God, I've lost my thread. Anyway, well, yes, jo- Boris Johnson has now joined the Tea Party's birther movement and wants to see Barack Obama's birth certificate to prove that he has the right to comment on one of his closest transatlantic allies' positions on the in out referendum. Well, that, that's it. When you come to the, this idea of balance, the BBC feel they need to have somebody from the, the Remain and somebody from the out camp. And then you look at all of the people who are Remain, and it's like the TUC, three major unions, IMF, CBI, largely all of the Labour, Lib Dems, SNP parties, the four living Prime Ministers and the President of the United States. And all the dead ones. Yeah, possibly. (laughs) And then you've got Boris Johnson, Nigel Farage, John Redwood and Chris Grayling. Don't forget Marine Le Pen. They're trying to stop Marine Le Pen coming, which is very interesting, trying to put an order on her to not come against freedom of movement. You know, that's the well, they, they don't They don't want people coming over here, do they? That's it. Yeah. That's, it. that's what it is. <laughs> Telling us what to do. But it'd be quite, you know, it'd be quite good rather than having one from one and one from the other is a representative of all those people who are for staying and a representative of all the ones who want to leave. And it'll yeah, become let's much have more obvious. Your French right-wing fascist. I think we need to hear a bit more from them. You know, because actually, if you look at the people who want us to leave, who is it? Your French right-wing politician, National Front. Your Vladimir Putin... 
<clears throat> it's all gone so well with capturing Ukraine. That, 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 that's the most elegant way I've heard of somebody <laughs> slagging off Vladimir Putin. You Vladimir never know Putin. who's in the audience. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, don't live tweet that. Yeah. It's the cycle in now. Well, they, they were vulnerable. describing the Remain campaign as Project Fear, weren't they? And then what was it Michael Gove said last week? He said, if you were remaining in, in the EU, it was like being hostage locked in the boot of a car. What, what could be more scary than that particular image, unless that he'd added, I was in there with you? <laughs> Absolutely. But also, what I love about the uh, Leave campaign is they picture this rosy picture, which is Norwegian. We can be, you know, trendy, be liberal, have really well-funded public services. So, you know, OK, let's, let's part that fantasy for a moment under the Tories. And then they've gone, oh, and then someone's gone, oh, oh hang on a minute, Norway pay 80% of what we pay into the EU budget and they still have to accept free movement of people. Oh, and they go, oh God, we don't want that. We don't want to pay into the budget because then that's an argument gone. And we don't want free movement of people because that's another argument gone. I know. Let's be like Albania. (laughs) Now, there's nothing wrong with Albania, right? I've not been there. I'm going there soon and I've heard it's a great country and it's, you know, it's it's had its problems. Um, But I'm not sure that we want to model ourselves on a country that's got, I don't know, 23% unemployment and is desperately trying to sort of come into the EU, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. So this, this kind of free trade area, what, what they're not telling us is we'd have to renegotiate the trade deals, not just with the 27 EU countries, but with all of the other countries like Albania. And when they talk about the Commonwealth, we've got 52 countries in the Commonwealth. And Churchill talked about these three majestic circles. You know, we've got our relationship with the United States, with the Commonwealth and with Europe. But we trade more with Ireland than we do with all 52 countries of the Commonwealth. So don't tell me... And, you know, someone said, well, why is that? You know, why? Why aren't we talking to our Commonwealth? It's like, generally, they're quite poor. We no, nothing to do with poor. us, though. We didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> uh, it's very important people realise we were there to help. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we did what we could, and the fact that we left in a hurry, with their leaving very straight borders... They were doing brilliantly, and when we left, it all went... It all went horribly, yeah. horribly wrong. We, we did them the good favour of drawing really neat, straight borders for them to make sense of, and what did they do? Skirmishes. So, what I've also noticed is that the Eurosceptics also tend to be climate sceptics, and... Um, That's, sorry to butt in, yeah. that... A particular thing uh, where UKIP is concerned, that is a big part of the tail that wags that, that particular yeah. dog. Uh, uh, Nigel Farage's politics were galvanised at the point, I mean, where he started to mean it was when someone told him he couldn't smoke in pubs anymore. He is... No, he's my... He's, he's from the same background as me. I fucking grew up with these people, right? No, he's privately educated posh boy. Entitlement is everything. When people say no, they mean later. So when people say to Nigel Farage, no, or you have to change something about the way that you live, or you're going to have to be able to see uh, a wind turbine, which is like an emblem of them having lost the argument. That's why they hate them so much. Uh, That tail wags the UKIP dog because they are right-wing libertarians or the toddlers of politics. Uh, No, they just, it's simple. It's really simple. They just don't know how to share. And climate change is, is absolutely key for the UKIP mindset, because mm. it, it's so 
It's such a bit. Sorry, I've, I've banged yeah. on. Bang, I've bang on. I think it's the past. But that's also well, you, you thought you were entitled to bang on because of your education. Yeah. I, knew, yeah. I knew I was. I'm still absolutely reeling from the fact that I stopped at all. <laughs> yeah, you self-censored. But I know. Keep there. talking long enough, I'll you be see, made mayor. If you're, uh... <laughs> <laughs> but being a sort of comprehensively educated schoolgirl from Coventry who spent two years on tights and lights in British home stores, I was quite happy to let you bang on because I know my place and I'm no better than I should be. Um, yeah, British home stores, I just want to say one thing. What a shame, 11,000 people are losing their jobs today and, you know, all these buggers that came in to, to make it better and make it great. It was great when I worked there, right? It was great because you got double time on a Sunday, you got treble time if you worked on a bank holiday Monday and I have still got, I'm going to tweet it later, I have to wake up my son to do it. But I've still got a light. Got you, you won't mind. <laughs> He's used to it, random yeah. coming in. I, not, actually, there was one moment before the election. My son's got one of those like bunk beds and you know he's got his desk underneath. And I always I have a sort of rule, which is however crap a mother I am, I'm always going to kiss him goodnight until he tells me to fuck off. So, <laughs> so he's 13, he's at a good age. It's still, you know. So I went in, I climbed up the bunk bed and I leant over and I gave him his little goodnight kiss. And, you know, he's oblivious. He doesn't know. It's just for me. And I climbed back down, fell flat on my ass, <laughs> Boom! And nobody in the house woke up. Not my husband upstairs, not my daughter, not him. And it was like one of those moments where it's like, thank God I've got slightly more padding on my behind than I needed because otherwise that would have been a broken hip. Anyway, the thing I want to tweet later is the... Um, red study light that I bought to do my A-levels with 30 years ago from British Home Stores Lighting which still works. That's why they're now bankrupt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one taught them about built-in obsolescence. Built-in obsolescence. The key but, to success. But your economics. one is now worth a bit more, Mary. <laughs> now we know more where that one comes from. So in terms of uh, the vote on the 23rd, it's at the same time as Glastonbury. I know, that's bad. Well, that's 150,000 people, isn't it? And they, they're All trying young. All, all Euro enthusiasts. And they're Get trying to encourage vote. them to do a postal vote. Yeah. But you're thinking, the average Glastonbury goer, that's a bit too organised for them, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But don't forget, in, in every group of people that go to Glastonbury, there is at least one person who was up at 6am with everybody's registration details and a photo in order to get but the tickets. But you can't postal vote for everybody else. That was the, the trouble with, with sort of, you know, postal voting at one of the elections recently, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but maybe they could. May, maybe it should be a condition of getting in that you prove you that you've had it. That you've had a postal vote. Evis could do that. Just go. No, you're not coming in. You haven't voted. Fuck you. <laughs> what I noticed at the weekend is Barack did change some minds. So as I, I'm out canvassing, I do a lot, and you know sometimes people are like, oh no, I'm coming out. I'm coming out, and they're usually motivated on immigration grounds. And going around this weekend, this Saturday morning, I was trotting around in uh, Wakefield, and. You can see people going, we haven't had the facts. No one's telling us the truth. And there's this thing where, like you say, you've got the Bank of England telling you the facts, you've got the President of the United States telling you the facts, you've got Price... Well, maybe you don't trust Price Waterhouse Coopers, but all of the economists, you know, I've got my moments with them, but all of the economists who've done an analysis are saying... It'll cost you. The only thing we don't know is how much it'll cost you. It could Now, if you think the Tories have cost you £1,300 a year in um, lost kind of wages and benefits since they came into power in 2010 with the Lib Dems, and then you have the, the analysis from the Treasury saying it'll cost you £4,300 a year by 2030, that gives you some sort of perspective on how much this country will lose. It'll be like... Tories are in government forever, but three times worse than they are now. With that, I say, vote remain, vote calm. 
There is um, the the other the other part of it that's very rarely discussed. Obviously, the economics. I'm, I'm persuaded by the idea that we will end up with less money withdrawing from Europe, which is very counter to uh, what lots of people seem to suggest. But the other part of it, if you set aside TTIP, is we've done better as people, as, as workers, as human beings. Uh, our animals have done better. I don't yeah. care about them in the slightest. But <laughs> No, I don't fuck them. Uh, but, also- but, uh, but we have. We've done, we've done better by, by all of these... All of these countries with their distinct cultures and, and appetites and histories have spent most of our lives warring with each other, going, yeah. um, actually, don't, um, don't do that to people. Romania weren't allowed to join while they had orphans chained to beds. And, and we said, well, if you want to join, you have to stop that. And Romania said, oh, we've mostly stopped. And we were, no, <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't. No one set the bar higher than Europe has. Yeah. For those sorts of rights, for, for, for taking care of people, yeah. it's failed in huge areas. Uh, I absolutely readily admit that, but it, um, it disappoints me that that's less um, represented than the economic. So, Tim, audience. what about you? What's the EU, from Amnesty's perspective, what's their, their take on the EU? Well, we're more worried about the Council of Europe at the moment, because, I mean, there's, there's the EU, which is the bit that the economic community and, and that's the bit that uh, either makes us wealthier or impoverishes depending on which side of the argument you're looking at but there's another bit called the council of europe which is is the part that guards our human rights and uh, the clues in the name really amnesty international you know what we want to be doing is is looking around the world where you know things are getting better but it's still pretty miserable for an awful lot of people out there in terms of the human rights law, obviously yeah. the Conservatives said that they're going to get rid of it, which obviously means it's based on the European Convention of Human Rights, yeah. not to do with the EU, but to do with the European Court of Justice. When it comes to it, if we pull out of that, we'll be the only country in Europe to have not be part of it, apart, I believe, from Belarus. Belarus, yeah, yeah exactly. Which and is this, this run the by things. Alexander Lukashenko. Um, sample quote, I, I saw two of them. Uh, one of them was... Uh, not everything connected with that well-known figure, Hitler, was bad. And second sample quote, better to be a dictator than gay. So we will be in the same league as Belarus. Yeah, no, I mean, outside the European Union, you like to be hanging out with Albania. Outside the Council of Europe, it is Belarus. That's it. That's your, your common area of human rights that you're going to be looking for, you and, you and Lukashenko. So that's, and uh, Michael that's Gove in charge of protecting, writing a new act, and God help us if he's in charge. Yeah, but we'll all be locked in the boot of the car. But there's, there's another funny one. This is where this debate is getting really, really bizarre, because um, Gov psychic Dominic Raab... Um, <laughs> Two, three weeks ago, he criticised Amnesty because we, expre- you know, we expressed some concern about um, what they're going to do with the Human Rights Act and what that might mean for human rights in Europe. And he called us, uh, said we were scaremongering, um, said we were losing credibility because they've made it perfectly clear their plans are not to leave the European Convention on Human Rights. And then blow me if today the Home Secretary, Theresa May, doesn't say, actually, you know, we should be pulling out. I'm really happy with us being in the EU. We've got the wrong lot. We should be out of the European Convention of Human Rights. And that's when Russia is, is a party to the European Convention of Human Rights. I mean, we, we obviously, we, we pride our freedom of speech, and if, but if we do slag off 
Even in this country, it seems that you're not totally safe. You've got to be careful what you're going to have slipped into your tea, aren't you? But you've so, got to also acknowledge well, here that, that, that uh, the Prime Minister's been playing some real w- leadership on the world stage because as soon as he said uh, about prisoner voting, I uh, tell you what, what we're going to do is we're just going to ignore some of these European court decisions, the ones we don't like, we're just going to ignore them. And, and Putin said, um, do you know what, see what the UK's done? We're going to have some of that over here, and he's passed legislation to say it's all a bit optional. When the European court side decides something, that's going to be optional for us. And Kenya, when he was fighting um, war crimes charges, the president there said uh, it's not just Kenya or Africa that's trying to assert sovereignty. The UK is doing it. Look at what they're doing with uh, the European Court of Human Rights. I'm going to do the same thing here. So this does have uh, international consequences, and um, I think we should all pay a bit of attention to that. And well, there's basically been loads of myths peddled about the human rights legislation. By, by, one of them was that the police can no longer put up wanted posters because it, it was against their, you know, the criminals' human rights. Total bullshit. The reason that the police don't put up wanted posters is because we don't live in the Wild West. And, <laughs> and they've got crime watch, isn't it, basically? You'd be, the internet. Yeah, well, Twitter. You, yeah, well, you'd be questioning if you saw police putting up loads, you know, some prisoners escaped, and you saw them putting up missing posters and all the lampposts. You'd just go, what the hell was going on? I know. The, um, <laughs> the thing about this, though, is that... The stories really are bizarre. So there was, an, there was another one about um, it was a human rights thing that, that KFC had to be delivered to an armed robber during a, a police siege. Uh, that's fact. Um, another one in the Daily Telegraph, I remember, was um, Austrian Count says prison underwear violates his rights. And it was this balmy Austrian Count who had, in fact, complained about the fact that he'd been forced to wear this really rough prison underwear rather than his silk stuff that he's used to. And you read through, and one paragraph from the end, it actually turns out he was a victim of wrongful arrest. And you've got to to actually stick with it beyond the headlines. Well, I mean, the fried chicken to the burglar, he was besieged on the roof, wasn't he? And the the implication was that loads of people now were going to just break into a house as they got a bargain bucket from the police, (laughs) when it was just a negotiating tactic to bring them down, wasn't it? The other one was that you could get pornography as part of your human rights in prison. Yeah. And that was total bullshit as well. You know, obviously, if you're in prison, do you really want to get pornography and tease yourself with stuff you're unlikely to be able to have for a while? You certainly don't want your cellmate getting it, do you? Because the the last thing you need is a horny cellmate. (laughs) What you've got in prison, I've got Wakefield Prison and Newhall Prison in my uh, constituency. And what you've got in there is a lot of people banged up for a long time. Um... So, some of them tell me they're innocent and then I always go and have a little look online. It's like, oh, no, I don't think so. And sometimes I've actually gone to the court records. It's like, oh, dear, no, love, I don't, I don't think you are innocent. And, um, but they've got a lot of time on their hands and they're clever, manipulative people. So they go, oh, I get a bit of free money to, to write a long letter on my itchy pants or mm. my right to, you know, whatever, have a visual stimulus or whatever it should be. And uh, away we go. And, and they do have the right to do that. Uh, and they are funded through public law on that. And I think some people might, you know, do sometimes think, oh, hang on, you know. Yeah, no, the image that you get, though, is that the European courts just sitting there yeah, yeah. going, oh, we, we've just got a letter from a British prisoner. It must be true. Um, <laughs> 1,500 cases, 1,600 cases a year go to the European court most of them are chucked out. Yeah, yeah. So, so about one and a half, two percent of the cases that are pending before the European Court concern the UK. Sixty percent of them are Russia, Ukraine, Italy, and mm. Turkey. So it's and tiny. They, it's tiny. When they write them, do they do they address it to Barmy 
EU bureaucrats? Yeah, or is it to faceless barmy EU bureaucrats? Because if you are genuinely faceless, it must be difficult to get your post. Cause... They just, I just think they just write it to Europe. Oh. <laughs> to yeah. Europe, let me out. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. In terms of the European Convention of Human Rights, this was sort of dreamed up by Churchill, wasn't it? After mm. the horrors of the Second World War. You think, what have these Conservative politicians been through that they think that they can do away with all of that legislation? I mean, what horrors have they been through? The flooding of 2007, <laughs> you know. A really difficult constituency meeting. That's what, that's what they've been through and that's what they're responding to. I mean, the Europe, there is something about the European Convention of Human Rights, the Human Rights Act, that I think it, it's part of what helps us be speak better to ourselves when our instincts are saying, bang them up, throw away the key. There's this little bit that holds you back and says, hang on, let's just exercise some restraints here. Uh, when, you, when you're there looking for um, old, old people, for example, I mean, there's a classic case um, of old people. One of them was blind, another one was infirm, and they, they worked together to get themselves around their home. Then one of them becomes infirm, and... Um, the, uh, the authority said, yeah, he can have a place in a nursing home, but she can't, she doesn't fit the criteria. And they used the Human Rights Act to say, no, actually, right to family life, they belong together, and the, the, the authorities were then forced to put mm. them up together. You, you that's just one of the examples. If David Cameron, he's basically been slagging off the Human Rights Act for ages, whether he'll suddenly go to the European Court of Hum- Human Rights and try and get some concessions out of them, and then when he's won some concessions, then he'll decide that he's, he's all in favour of it and put it forward for a referendum. To what extent do you think they mean it? And to what extent do you think they just think, yeah, that'll play well? Uh, It's chaff. It's all chaff. It's like Boris's fantasy island. It's really hard to uh, put a third runway in at Heathrow. It costs a lot of money. There's a lot of noise. Um, You know, there's a whole series of arguments about why not, and it's hard. Okay, I know. Why don't we put a, a new airport in the Thames, in the bit that's the marshy bit, with no roads, no public transport there, and nobody living there? Because that would be perfect. 
Except it's also in the middle of a bird reserve and right next to an unexploded warship, isn't it? So <laughs> and <laughs> you forgot the oil refinery. Oil refinery. Um, so that'll be great. Let's do that. And let's spend £27 million of taxpayers' money on that because while you're looking over here at my Fantasy Island airport, you're not actually looking at the hard questions that have to be answered around Heathrow, Gatwick or Stansted. So you keep people distracted with things like the European Convention on yep. Human Rights, with a referendum on leave or remain, while dismantling the NHS, while screwing up the education system, providing over a, presiding over a chronic teacher shortage, and um, hoping that people won't know that their um, real incomes have gone down over the last six years. Well, the years. trouble with Boris Johnson, obviously, is he was born in America, isn't he? So, you know... What does he know? Of, part of all Boris Johnson has always hated Britain because he's part American, <laughs> so... <laughs> Like that Winston Churchill bloke, he was part of it, wasn't he? But it is chaff, though. I mean, 2014 is when they first came up with this. October 2014. We're 18 months later on, and there's no serious proposal that's come through. When they were first talking about it, there was like one sentence in in that speech or that document that they put out saying, and and we'll work this out with Scotland and Wales and and Northern Ireland. Hmm. Didn't even comment on the fact that part part of the Good Friday Agreement, this thing that was worked on, for years that's got co-signatories of the Republic of Ireland as well as the UK. Part of the condition of that is that we remain part of the European Convention on Human Rights and it's enshrined in UK law. So that just gets... That just, oh, that's not going to interest you. That's detail. We'll work that one out later. Classic. So as as, um, part of Amnesty, Tim, one of the other things that you're campaigning about at the moment is uh, British selling arms to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia being involved in war crimes in Yemen and... This government have been saying, oh, we're very happy to sell our three billion worth in the last year of weapons over to Saudi Arabia because it's not yet been proved that there are weapons have been used in the war crimes. And when actually the arms trade treaty says could be used in war crimes and British government going, well, you know, unless you prove it, we're going to keep flogging them <laughs> yeah. over to there. And, you know, you think, well, it's a bit late then if once it's been proved, if we sold them a big bomb, they've blown up half of Yemen and then we go... Ooh, you can't have another one. It's not, it's not the most effective policy, is it? No, I mean, there was one really, really great turn of phrase. I've forgotten the, the minister that was, that was responsible for saying it, but pressed on this point about you, you've seen these allegations. Um, can you tell us more about the, uh, the investigations that the Saudi Arabians have been telling you they'll conduct? And he says, uh, the, the investigations will be ongoing. It's like, are they ongoing? Will they be ongoing? You know, at some point in the future, is there going to be an ongoing investigation into this? Well, and, and Saudi Arabia, in the top three in terms of executing prisoners, one of the things you can get beheaded for is witchcraft. How can you defend yourself against witchcraft? I've got an alibi, I wasn't there. Oh, and how are you not there and still able to do it? <laughs> witchcraft, you know. <laughs> The list of crimes you get executed for in Saudi Arabia is, is long and miserable, and, and that's, that's the tip of the iceberg. It is one of the most repressive states in the world, and that's, that's, I'd much rather be talking about human rights in Saudi Arabia than really talking about the Human Rights Act here and how it needs to be protected. Uh, and, and I wouldn't I would prefer not to be talking about UK arms being sold at a time. And this is, this is during the conflict um, in Yemen when Saudi Arabia and other countries were bombing there. Thousands of people are dead. Half of them are supposed to be civilians. We've documented cases about 250 schools have been hit. Medicine Sans Frontier had a hospital destroyed. And in three months, between July and September last year, the UK licensed a billion pounds of bombs and missiles. That's one billion pounds of bombs and missiles alone. That's more than we sold to the rest of the world in the four years previously. So the, the assurance that the Saudis are given that 
our investigations will be at some point ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. It really doesn't cut the ice with the obligations that the government, only a couple of years previously, signed up to when it signed the Arms Trade Treaty, so let alone a range of other domestic uh, regulations that they've put in force. Now, Amnesty always encouraging people to, to write to prisoners of conscience. Yeah. There's obviously uh, loads of prisoners of conscience in Saudi Arabia. You're going to highlight one particular case tonight for people to hopefully get involved with. The case, uh, human rights lawyer, Walid Abu Al-Khair, is that right? That's correct, yeah. So Walid um, is, a, is a human rights lawyer. He's 36 at the moment. And this month, it's, uh, he's just gone past the second anniversary of his imprisonment. And, and Walid uh, is a very brave guy. Um, he spent a bit of time on social media talking about human rights. Back in about 2008, he set up an organisation called the uh, Monitor for Saudi Human Rights. Um, he was a lawyer of Rafe Badawi, whose case a lot of people will know, who uh, is, was in prison for a long time and threatens over a thousand lashes, really for blogging about human rights. Uh, and Walid was um, sent down on v- completely spurious charges by a court that is nowhere close to being fair, called a terrorist. All as he's been doing is trying to defend other people's human rights and inviting people into his room to talk about human rights. And the result of that is 15 years. So we're asking people to, um, to write to the Saudi ambassador, and you don't have to say a lot, you just have to say, um, we believe that um, Walid should be freed. Um, please, can you support us in that? Now, the audience, they've all got a piece yeah. of paper. Hopefully, if you can sign that, leave it behind afterwards or take it home and post it, that would be brilliant. Um, in terms of the podcast listeners, have you got an address that they can, they can send it to? Yeah, if you just write to the, to the, to the ambassador of Saudi Arabia... Um, 30 Charles Street, London, W1J, 5DZ, uh, and just write saying, I'm writing on behalf of Walid Abu Al-Khair. Um, we believe he's a prisoner of conscience, and we urge you to release him. Be polite. And, and, and uh, the, thing, the brilliant thing is, you know, the dictators all over the world, they're very happy to lock people up, but they don't like getting a large mailbag from... Uh, from Angry for no, Milton Keynes. They like, it, they like it to be behind the door. When, when Angry for Milton Keynes pitches up, that, that says uh, the world's spotting what you're doing. And um, Saudi Arabia, believe it or not, occasionally responds to bad publicity. Did they release Rafe Badawi? No, he's so still there, but he hasn't, he hasn't been subject to anything like that. And, and Mary Marcus, have you ever written to a, a, a prisoner of conscience? Have you... Have you I um. Well, well, it's not. I, I just because I, I did some. Uh, I went to an amnesty event and I did some before Christmas. And it's, it's a very hard thing to write, actually, because when you're there, you, you think all the things that you would write to somebody who's in prison, all the things that you would normally put, you know, hope you're well, how are you, look forward <laughs> to seeing you soon. None of them, you know, you go. It's, it's actually a real tough thing to write unless you do say just, you know, the facts essentially. Well, I discovered the power of being um, a UK backbencher in 2009 when I went to Burundi currently undergoing a terrible civil war. Lots of, uh, hundreds of thousands of people have fled to Tanzania. And at that time, it was stable. And it had the same president that it's going to have possibly for the next five to ten years, or possibly forever. And, um, and I, there was a guy that I wanted to meet, and he was in jail. And uh, so I was, you know, I was a bit... I was a bit feisty. I still am, I suppose. But um, and I said, "Well, I really want to go and see this guy." And I can't remember his name, so I'm sorry about that. But I went. I said, "I really want to go and see this guy in prison." And the embassy was like, "No, no, no. We don't want British MPs going to visit him in prison." I was like, "No, it's cool. We're just, you know, we're just a little group. This guy's an opposition politician. He runs a rail- radio station. We just want to go and see him in prison." They're like. No, you really don't want you, you, you. No, no. We strongly advise you not to go and see him in prison. I was like, 
Right, just tell them I'm going to see this guy in prison, whatever it takes. And they're like, okay then. And so I turn up on the day and that is the day that the Burundian government announced they were going to release the guy that I was going to see. And 10,000 of his closest friends, relatives and supporters were also outside the prison to welcome him as he was being released. So I go in, but but the orchestration was that I was going in to visit him in prison first and then that evening he would be released and it was uh, it was Perfect a very media opportunity I know. <laughs> like, but no there was no media there and i had no idea any of this was going to happen so it's just like no i'm definitely going to see this guy i'm not going to be put off by any flannelly bullshit look, look who i've managed to release <laughs> <laughs> so so it, and it was one of those crowds that was quite lively and i suddenly thought god actually it's it is a bit dangerous and i can see why the embassy were advising me not to do any of this because obviously they've been protesting about this guy being incarcerated went in and it's not like a prison in the UK because he was a prisoner of conscience and he was, I mean, Burundian prisons, I don't think they're very nice, but it was kind of, there were goats and chickens wandering around. There was family members cooking meals. It was all very strange. Um, but we had a good chat. And then about two days later, I met him in a bar, you know, and we had a proper sit-down chat in a hotel. But there was this moment of thinking, actually, as an MP or as a member of any society, if you decide you're going to stick to something and just go in and do it, you don't you didn't even I didn't even know I was embarrassing them but I somehow did and I got this guy out of jail. Marcus, let's move on to you because we we sort of we're using yes. up our time. Sure. So you can talk about UK media ownership. Yeah. The idea that obviously broadcast media is supposed to be impartial, but that then they often look at the newspapers and the newspapers very much so. are very much biased, and then, therefore, the broadcast media become biased because they I, go off the agenda. I think that the news agenda in this country is still set by the press. It is not set by broadcast media, although there is some terrific uh, journalism within broadcast media. The, the news agenda is still set by the press, and the things... It's interesting, interesting in the context of slacktivism. The things that we end up caring about the large numbers of people caring about, is drip feed. It takes a really, really long time. Constant narratives being repeated again and again and again in the press, which is why there is such an anti-immigrant appetite in this country, for example, which is why the science of climate change is so widely misrepresented because they've been drip-fed bullshit again and again and again. And I think, for, for me at the moment, the absolutely the biggest story in these times because we're living in austerity uh is tax avoidance uh i think it's the thing because i think it could make the biggest difference i think that we could turn around i think genuinely save the nhs genuinely uh create a better education system and so forth and there will be no appetite from the british press for any action on tax avoidance because they are tax avoiders. So, well, and, well, no, they, uh, it's, it's a drip feed, it's a drip feed thing, you know, and it, the, uh, of course the story's been covered in the press, but it's gone away. The well, issue has not changed, right? Just like immigration, right? The issue itself has not changed. No one's done anything. And by the way, Jimmy Carr did not bring the money that he put in the Channel Islands back into the UK. He just stopped putting more in. Good to know. <laughs> here we go. Heard it here. Heard it here. 
But I mean, even when it comes to tax avoidance, 15 billion we apparently lose from tax evasion, 1 billion from welfare fraud, but the government much more interested, it seems, to prosecute the benefit cheats. Yeah. I guess partly because they're, they're, they're easier to spot because they haven't got yeah. the posh lawyers or the posh accountants. It's, so that it's, it partly, go... it's partly that, but it's mostly that... Uh, OK, so Rupert, Mur- uh, Rupert Murdoch's tax affairs, he's an international figure. He lives in the US. He is an alleged tax avoider. Uh, you, uh, people have their own opinions on Murdoch and on where the money is and all that kind of thing. But to me, he's less interesting than Lord Rothermere, who owns the Mail and the Mail on Sunday. Readership uh, currently twelve million a week for the Mail. If you're um, not familiar with the Mail, by the way, imagine a copy of the Metro with the nerve to charge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also owns the, the, the day- Metro with nearly eight million. Readers, uh, Lord Rothermere is a billionaire who lives in France. He is non-domiciled for UK tax, so he doesn't pay French tax. This from the newspaper that said uh, Ed Miliband, you know, his dad, Ralph, was the man who hated Britain from the newspaper that supported Hitler. Yeah, so Ralph, um, it's really Ralph, interesting. Ralph Miliband that. fought against Hitler, yeah. didn't he? So, the Miliband which, thing, which the Daily Mail have never no. forgiven him for. The so. Miliband thing fascinated me. Any any one of you, you've been eating what are those Skittles there? Yeah. Skittles. Just if I had filmed you, if there's a gentleman in the front row, if I'd filmed you eating Skittles, right, and then gone through frame by frame, I could have found a weird Skittle face that you do, <laughs> because everybody at one point during a chew looks weird, and they got one. Ed Miliband eating a bacon sandwich, right? And it turns out this country don't like the way Miliband puts pork in his body. <laughs> With Cameron... <laughs> nobody got the shot. They weren't, they weren't bothered, and nobody got the shot. But this, this particular issue, I mean, you could talk about the, the fact that in the UK we have 19 straight white male editors and two female editors. 19 straight white male editors and two female editors, and one of them is uh, editor of a Sunday. So the representation of this country is fucked. And I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn because I want to read the newspapers. And it's not that I don't have faith in our journalists. A great many of them, including ones who work for The Telegraph and The Mail, who I'm a very long way from politically, are fantastic journalists with very good intentions and set very high standards for themselves. The MP's expenses story covered in The Telegraph was masterful, both in terms of how fairly it treated the subject and uh, commercial journalism. They didn't go, here's all the stories, aren't they all wankers? Day after day they went, here are the facts about this MP and here are the facts about the next one and here's what this MP that we mentioned last week has done about it. It was a masterclass. They could do the same on tax avoidance and they definitely won't. Well, they didn't, did they? Because the chief political correspondent has left, Peter O'Born, because the HSBC was supposedly doing that tax avoidance stuff in uh, Mm -hmm. Switzerland and because HSBC were a big advertiser, the Telegraph was soft-pedalling on it. In the same way that they'd soft-pedalled on Tesco the fact that they'd done the false accounting, that that was only hidden in the business pages apparently, whereas the story, right, that there was a cat that had been living inside a Tesco store for four years, Mm -hmm. that was on the front pages. That's important. That's important. It's It's so regrettable. I mean, the company, the Scott Trust, who own The Guardian, uh, they sold Auto Trader and made a vast amount of money. The Guardian does not make any money. It's losing all the time. And the thing that keeps it afloat is an offshore fund. 
uh, regrettably. So the Guardian, who you might assume wrongly is, uh, you know, on the side of right where this is concerned, I think more of their journalists and their editor probably are. But nonetheless, they're still involved with offshore. The, the editor um, of, of The Guardian, Alan Rusbridger, when he was there, he said, well, how many other people, when we do our, our tax avoidance exposés, we also had to look at our own tax affairs, mm-hmm. and you might not like what you see, but at least we investigated ourselves as well. It was basically, yes, we are a hypocrite, but who else would point at themselves and go, <laughs> look at us! Yeah. <laughs> and what's really shitty is there are, you know, across all the papers, as I said, but The Guardian in this context, there's some fantastic journalists there who really care about this. And yes, they did clap when they got the Panama Papers. And yes, they were pleased with their journalism because as individual journalists, they've done absolutely nothing wrong. The company that ended up owning The Guardian has a Richard Desmond, billionaire pornographer, again, and an alleged tax avoider and it just it goes on and on and on and i i just think unfortunately uh part of the reason that ed Miliband was chewed up and spat out by the press was that he wanted i know he'd have only managed a tiny bit but he wanted to look at media ownership he wanted to try and break up media ownership in uh, in this country. So there was no way they were ever going to let him be prime minister. And uh, unfortunately, uh, people say, oh, do you think people are that thick? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I don't mean... F- I'm not, that's not from an elevated position. It really isn't. I include myself in that. I want better information, right? And sometimes people say, oh, well, you've got to look online for that. Well, tons of what my friends read and point me at is unverified conspiracy theory bullshit so I, I don't i don't have the first clue what is to be done about it i mean it, you know if it was in the press don't believe it and blah 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 but that's not good enough but i don't want an eu referendum i don't want the question to be asked of the british public because i do not trust the vessel through which the information will be handed to us they will break it it's nuanced and complicated you got people all the time will tell you the eu it's simple for for, for in and out simple They'll end their sentence with the word simple. The one thing the EU never is is simple. It's vastly complicated. So our press are quite well placed to deal with that. They're great big things full of pages. You can cover that stuff. Different story every day. You can do it, but they don't. Well, maybe it should be an opportunity to, to talk about John Caldwell. He um, is the boss of Phones for You. He's Britain's biggest taxpayer. Mm-hmm. Pays $300 million over the last five years. And he says he doesn't believe in avoiding tax. And he, whenever he goes to a dinner party, mm-hmm. people are, it's almost embarrassing that he doesn't try and avoid the tax. Yeah. So from a personal perspective, I would determine for the next time I'm getting a phone, I should be getting it from phones for you. No, good for Pro- him. And keep reading Harry it, Potter. J.K. Rowling's a good one as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the phone may be hideously expensive, but I should be buying sure. it from phones for you. <laughs> J.K. Rowling used to work for Amnesty International, so of course she's a good Yeah, of course she's a good (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, we are beginning to run out of time. So just before we go to the questions, whilst you're getting yourself all prepared, we may only have time for one, but I'm sure you'll be able to manage that, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. But we should just tell you what's going to be coming up for the next show. For the next show, we have got Damien Green, MP, is coming on, Anita Anand, broadcaster and author Anita Anand, and we also have Andy Zultzman, broadcaster, stand-up podcaster... And demon ambidextrous bowler. So he will he will be here next time. For those listening on the podcast, the live show will in fact be in this venue May the thirtieth. 
So check out the Soho Theatre website. We also have David Davis MP coming up, Sarah Pascoe coming up, and we have lots of others. So check out the website. And if you want to get in contact with me at all, ask any questions, andyparsons.co.uk. And just to quickly mention Jim Russell. Thank you very much to Jim. I won't tell you what he said. It'll be self-indulgent, but uh, thank, thanks, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, let's have a hand up. Who's got a question for our fantastic panel tonight? Hands up. Lovely. Look at that. The Selectivist Action Group right Yay. in the middle. It's a hand up. Yes, please. There. Wait for the microphone to come, come across. Here we go. Quick question. If you can keep them quick, that'd be brilliant. Say your name, mate. Oliver Watson. Lovely. Uh, this is mainly for the Amnesty International guy. Uh, I don't know if you read recently in the newspaper... The Nor- guy in Norway who shot up the island Brevik. full of uh, teenagers Brevik. and stuff. Anders Brevik. Yeah. Yes, OK, yeah, that one. Cited um, um, Melanie Phillips and Katie Hopkins uh, as, as inspirations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to know what you thought of him recently having his decision to be moved out of solitary because it breached his human rights... There's always a threat when you say, I want to ask the guy from Amnesty International. <laughs> yeah. I think... Whether you, well, this is the thing that I was talking about, about the, the, the sense of it having to be a check on yourself, because somebody like Anders Brevik, you've got no sympathy for whatsoever, may the state do to him uh, what it will. But in fact, people, keeping people in solitary confinement for a prolonged period of time amounts to torture. And if you put somebody in jail, you're not actually... Um, they don't surrender their right to not be tortured. They surrender their right to liberty by doing a crime. They don't surrender their right to that. One of the cases that, um, that, that we, we were talking about at the event that Andy attended in December was Albert Woodfox, who um, was in the US, and he was kept on solitary confinement for 40 years. So 40 years of solitary confinement in that particular case, and that was one where eventually uh, people did realise that it amounted to cruel treatment. And so no matter, no matter how opposed you are to a man or what he's done as a crime... Part of the thing that civilises us is by saying we'll punish you this far and no further. So without knowing the ins and outs of what he was claiming or what the result of that was, that's what I'd say in the abstract. Al- Albert Woodfox, they've now us. written a ballet uh, on, on his incarceration, based on his incarceration. Hopefully it doesn't go on for 43 years. Obviously. Yeah. And what about you, Mary? I just want to end on the EU and just say, you talk about um, what has the EU done for us. 2,000 years of European history, only 70 years of peace. When I went to Italy when I was 18... I didn't know what a courgette was. I didn't know what a zucchini was. And then I discovered there was a word for it in English. It's called a courgette. And when I got back here, I realised we did have them, but they were called marrows. And for the culinary reason that we no longer have to pretend we like marrows, we can eat courgette and zucchini, we should vote to stay in the EU. Ladies and gentlemen, if you, uh, for those listening on the podcast, if you have enjoyed it, please subscribe. Also, please spread the word. Click... Obviously, yeah, click on subscribe. It's free. And, uh, you know, the more people spread the word. Obviously, slacktivists, if a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, we are lethal. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been a very interesting show. Please give it up for our fantastic panel tonight. Mary Cray MP from Amnesty, Tim Hancock and Marcus Bridgestock. Thank you for coming. Good luck.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.